Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to the second part of my baptism podcast. I love getting comments, and I know some of you were a bit confused when in the last podcast I started talking about water. You were prepared to listen to a podcast on baptism. Well, many times when I talk about a particular topic, I like to give you the background first so we can all be on the same page. If we're truly to understand what baptism is, we need to start with water. As we noted in Baptism Part 1, during the creation of the world, God separated the waters and created calm out of chaos and dry land for us. When we looked at the story of Noah and the Great Flood, it was really the reverse of the creation story. This time, God was releasing the waters, not holding them back or separating them. But in a way, during the story of Noah, the waters became a purifying agent to cleanse the earth from wickedness in order for humans to start fresh. If we think of water as a cleansing agent, we then can start to think of cleansing our sins, washing away of our sin. Ezekiel in 36.25 said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Now, in the Old Testament in Leviticus, God commanded his priests to wash themselves before entering the temple. Leviticus 16.4 says, He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He's to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. So water was a purifying symbol familiar to the ancient Jews. There's something called a mikvah, M-I-K-V-A-H. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, this was a gathering or collection of water. The word came to refer to a pool of water used for ceremonial cleansing. Someone who was ceremonially unclean or impure needed to have an immersion in a mikvah. A person would have to be ceremonially clean, for example, before entering the temple, like we just read. Also, women after childbirth or after their monthly cycle or men after sexual discharge or if you happen to come in contact with a dead body. Clothing and utensils would also be cleansed by ritual immersion. And then this is so interesting. Ritual immersion became a part of a new convert's conversion to Judaism. Isn't that interesting? Immersion in water became a part of being a convert to Judaism. Now, when we were in Jerusalem, we saw many ancient mikvahs. 
And really any natural body of water is considered a mikvah. In fact, in order to be called a mikvah, it has to become in contact with natural water, like rainwater, stream water. So that meant the mikvah had to contain living water. Now, what was the Christ said? I am the living water. See, it's all connected. Now, today, Orthodox, conservative, reformed, and Reconstructionist Jews have different practices regarding the use of the mikvah. But the theme of spiritual purification and cleansing is common to all of them. So, the idea of water making someone holy or clean is not new. Although the act described in these Old Testament passages was not specifically called baptism, it did highlight how important and holy ceremonial cleansing is to God and the use of the mikvah or ceremonial immersion seems to provide the background for New Testament baptism. When John the Baptist was baptizing and preaching repentance, those who responded by being baptized by him were admitting they were unclean. So this is fascinating. This is actually most likely why John the Baptist objected so strongly to baptizing Jesus. This is in Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 and 14. Think about it. John was baptizing people because they were unclean. Jesus was without sin. He was the son of God. How could John baptize him? It seems that John the Baptist's baptisms in the Jordan River were a foreshadowing of the final cleansing from sin that would be available from Christ once he died on the cross and then rose from the dead for the forgiveness of all our sins. So here's a quick review described in Matthew as to what happened during Jesus' baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And by doing so, Jesus demonstrated the significance of baptism. Here he was, the Son of God, getting baptized, being made clean, even though he was already clean. But he did this before officially starting his ministry. Jesus did it to show obedience to his Father. Now, here's something really ironic. The Pharisees, they thought they were above being baptized. John calls them a brood of vipers. But Jesus got baptized. Now, in the New Testament, Paul talks about cleansing water. He talks about this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, when he explains how husbands are to love their wives. Now, you've probably heard this verse before, but I want you to focus on 
the washing part. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Wow. Water here is tied to God's word. God's word. Washing her through the word to make her holy and blameless. Now what Paul meant is that Christ's death sanctified and cleanses the church. His death and resurrection literally cleans us from our old self. Call it the old Adam. Christ cleans the church through the act of baptism. Now, this actually, this passage connects us to this Near East custom of preparing a bride for her husband by giving her a ceremonial bath. We as the church are given a ceremonial bath through baptism to prepare us for Christ, the groom. God's word through water cleanses us. So how did baptism become a Christian practice? According to many theologians, it seems to have started with Peter and his amazing Holy Spirit-filled speech on Pentecost. Peter was speaking and he's reminding the crowds about who Jesus was and what he had done for them and then in turn what they did to him by putting him to death on the cross. So the people are really moved by his speech and they say, what shall we do? And this is recorded in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39. And Peter responds, he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Repent and be baptized. Now, this was such a powerful response that Peter gave to the people who really wanted to know what should their response be for who Christ is. Repent, turn away from. So Peter was saying, turn away from your old life. Then be baptized. To be baptized means turn toward God. In essence, don't depend on yourself. Depend on Jesus to forgive your sins. I like how my NIV study Bible explains this. It says, only God can save us. Baptism identifies us with Christ and with the community of believers. It's a condition of discipleship and a sign of faith. So therefore, those in the New Testament who did respond in repentance and baptism were basically admitting they were unacceptable to God and needed to be made clean. 
Paul in Romans chapter 6 in verses 3 and 4, he says, when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death, Jesus's death, and then raised to walk in newness of life. Now, what I love about this metaphor of death and resurrection is this idea of the dunking into the water is representing death and then coming out of the water is like a resurrection. It's like being made new. I did a Lecto Divina on Jesus's baptism. What that means is it's just a way to read scripture where you read a passage like three different times and you really ask God to reveal something to you in the passage. So when I did this, what really impressed me was, quote, as soon as Jesus was baptized. So I was envisioning, you know, him being dunked into the water. And then the passage said that after this, he came up out of the water. And at that moment, so I envisioned Jesus standing up out of the water, like being resurrected metaphorically. And at that moment, the Bible says heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. So when something is dunked or immersed in the water, it could symbolize cleaning, but it also symbolizes a death. So when I read this passage about Jesus's baptism, I was struck with the symbolism of Jesus dunking under the water, dying metaphorically, and then up out of the water. That's when the Holy Spirit came. It's like his resurrection. He came out of death into new life. The dunking and the water represents dying to old self and then coming out of the water symbolizes our new life. We're coming out of death into new life in Christ. Jesus died was buried, and then rose again. As Christians, we identify with this fact by being dunked and then lifted out of the waters into a new life in Christ. What's the difference between the Jewish mikvah and our Christian baptism? Well, unlike the ritual immersion in a mikvah, which because it's a ritual means it has to be repeated many times, our baptism, one and done. We believe that we're made clean once and for all through baptism. The word baptism is actually from the Greek word to dip or to immerse. And what's interesting is immersion is the only form of baptism recorded in the New Testament. And it was the most common form of baptism for 1300 years. The sprinkling of water on the forehead, rather a new tradition. And depending on your faith tradition, baptism today, of course, can be full immersion or just the sprinkling of water on the forehead. When I was in Israel in 2020, my husband, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law all shared the most amazing experience by being baptized as adults by full immersion in the Jordan River. The experience was witnessed by many people, and the four of us assisted the pastor in 
baptizing each other. And I have to say that immersion was such an incredible experience, one I will never forget. Now, not only was it incredibly meaningful to be baptized in the same body of water as Jesus, but I also have to say that there's something about being dunked in super cold water that really takes your breath away. And for a moment, you kind of think about death. And then you come out of it and you're gasping for air and you fill your lungs and you really do feel anew. For the first 400 years of the church, adult baptism was the norm. Constantine, for example, was baptized on his deathbed. Infant baptism really started with Augustine. He encouraged parents to get their children baptized to erase original sin. Now, the conundrum was there was supposed to be a personal hearing of the word of God and acceptance of the gospel by faith during the baptism. And so the question was, can a baby do this? Also, some churches early on felt they were the one true church. So if you received baptism in another church, they would require re-baptism. Now, even though that was happening a thousand years ago, it still does happen today in some denominations. So let's just explore some of the different faith interpretations of the importance of baptism. Of course, this isn't an exhaustive exploration, but I want to point out just a few interesting differences. So the question I posed as I was doing my research was, is baptism required for salvation? So first I looked at some Protestant non-denominational churches. And so I'm going to quote from a website that I have used many times. I think it's really an excellent source and it's called um, gotquestions.org. This is how they responded to the question about whether baptism is essential for salvation. Quote, requiring anything in addition to faith in Jesus Christ for salvation is a works-based salvation. To add anything to the gospel is to say that Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient to purchase our salvation. To say that baptism is necessary for salvation is to say we must add our own good works and obedience to Christ's death in order to make it sufficient for salvation. Jesus' death alone paid for our sin. They quote Romans 5, 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus' payment for our sins is appropriate to our account by faith alone. John 3, 16, Acts 16, 31, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Therefore, baptism is an important step of obedience after salvation, but cannot be a requirement for salvation. There are some verses that seem to indicate baptism is a requirement for salvation. However, since the Bible so clearly tells us that salvation is received by faith alone, there must be a different interpretation of these verses. 
Scripture does not contradict Scripture. In Bible times, a person who converted from one religion to another was often baptized to identify conversion. Baptism was the means of making a decision public. Those who refused to be baptized were saying they truly did not believe. So in the minds of the apostles and early disciples, the idea of an unbaptized believer was unheard of. When a person claimed to believe in Christ yet was ashamed to proclaim his faith in public, it indicated he didn't have true faith. So I think that's interesting because this is uh, their way of really explaining those Bible verses that seem to indicate you do need baptism. Let's take a look at the Catholic view on baptism. I am quoting catholic.com. I've used this website before. Now, when I sought whether baptism is necessary for salvation on their website, I have to say the answer surprised me. I was raised Catholic, and I think I just always assumed you had to get baptized in order to get to heaven and my twin brothers were near death at birth and so there was a great rush to get a priest to the hospital to baptize them so I think in my youthful mind I just always assumed you had to have it done but catholic.com has what I'll say is an interesting answer to this question about baptism and going to heaven. They say the answer is yes and no. God has bound salvation to the sacrament of baptism, but he himself is not bound by his sacraments. I find that so interesting. They continue to explain. What this means is that The only ordinary means that the church knows of by which a person is to be saved is by the sacrament of baptism. This is all that has been revealed to us in John 3, verses 3 through 5. Okay, so let me take a break and explain to you what John 3, 3 through 5 talks about. This is where Jesus is talking to the Pharisee Nicodemus and Jesus says to Nicodemus that no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Nicodemus is rightfully confused, and so Jesus explains what he means. He says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Okay, the Catholic website explains that this verse indicates the need for baptism. Now recall that there are Bible verses which many interpret to say baptism is required. And they say that those with whom this necessary means of salvation has been revealed are bound to use it. But they explain those who are not responsible for their ignorance of this revelation will not be held accountable. It then refers to the Catechism CCC 
847, which says, This affirmation, the necessity to be baptized, is not aimed at those who, through no fault of their own, do not know Christ and his church. For these individuals, God administers the grace of salvation in ways known only to him. However, later it says, despite the fact that non-baptized individuals who are not responsible for their ignorance can be saved, the church still has the obligation and also the sacred right to evangelize all men. We're now going to take a look at Lutherans. I am specifically going to refer to what's called the LCMS, which is the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And so I'm referring to their website and also uh, teachings by Martin Luther. Lutherans believe that the Bible teaches a person is saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing. That's in Romans 10, 17. Jesus himself commands baptism and tells us baptism is water used together with the word of God. That's Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Because of this, the website says, we believe that baptism is one of the miraculous means of grace. Another is God's word as it is written or spoken through which God creates and or strengthens the gift of faith in a person's heart. Lutherans believe in infant baptism because they believe the Bible says that infants can believe. That's Matthew 18.6. And that new birth or regeneration happens in baptism. The infant's faith cannot yet, of course, be verbally expressed, it says, or articulated by the child, yet it is real and present all the same. And they say Acts 2, verses 38 through 39, Luke 1, 15, and 2 Timothy 3, 15 all attest to this. Now, recall I said that this is actually one of the reasons why some denominations don't believe in infant baptism. But here it's explained that even though the baby can't speak, they still have real and present faith. Okay, it continues. It says Lutherans do not believe that only those baptized as infants receive faith. It says faith can also be created in a person's heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, working through God's written or spoken word at any time. And it says that then baptism should follow conversion for the purpose of confirming and strengthening faith in accordance with God's command and promise. Depending on the situation, therefore Lutherans baptize people of all ages, infancy to adulthood. But then it went on to say that Lutherans do not believe that baptism is absolutely necessary for salvation. It says all true believers in the Old Testament era were saved without baptism, which is true. And they say Mark 16, 16 implies it's not the absence of baptism that condemns a person, but the absence of faith 
And there are clearly other ways of coming to faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, like reading or hearing the Word of God. Still, the website explains, baptism dare not be despised or willfully neglected, since it is explicitly commanded by God and has his precious promises attached to it. And it says it's not a mere ritual or symbol, but it's a powerful means of grace by which God grants faith and forgiveness of sins. And then it ends with, it must be remembered that the only theological distinction between the spoken word of the gospel and baptism is that the sacrament includes a visible element. Hence, our Lutheran fathers commonly spoke of baptism as the visible gospel. Baptism is God's act, a divine testimony to what grace alone really means, whereby he imparts the blessings of forgiveness, life, and salvations to individuals, children, and adults alike. Anabaptists, A-N-A, and then the word Baptist. Uh, that actually, that word means to baptize again. Anabaptists are like the Amish and the Mennonites, and they believe baptism is symbolic, also not necessary for salvation, but they believe that infant baptism is not valid because they believe a child cannot commit to a religious faith. And they believe that baptism is called believer's baptism. So you have to be old enough to know what you are attesting to that you believe. Now, some Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, and Oriental Orthodoxy believe that baptism is sacramental for salvation and the remission of sins. Revivalists view baptism as the receipt of the Holy Spirit, and necessary for salvation. The Church of Christ, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, all believe baptism is necessary for salvation. In summary, what I found so fascinating in preparing this podcast is that we're all over the place. There are many mainline faiths that tend to be leaning toward baptism's not essential for salvation. But there are still many that believe the Bible is clear that baptism is essential. Baptism's been a bit controversial for over 2,000 years. Not all churches agree on what it symbolizes, how it should be performed, or when it should be performed, baby or adult. Those who say it's necessary for salvation, they focus on verses like Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And the verse we discussed earlier, spoken by Peter in Acts 2, 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we have Jesus and his great commission to his followers in Matthew 28, 19. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But it appears that many faith communities focus on the truth in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I pray that you have a blessed day and are a blessing to others and that you know it is by grace that you are saved through faith, not through anything that you could ever do on your own.